Why don't you love the games we love? My name's Jonathan, and this is the Snakes Cast, the podcast for people who don't know as much about games as they'd like to know. This week, we're going to shed a few tears for games we really wish you loved as much as we do, the games gurus adore that we can't ever seem to convince anyone to play. Welcome back to the Snakes Cast. With me again this week, Steve Tassie. Hello. And David Kingsmill. Hello there. Well, it's a couple of days after Valentine's as we record this, so today's episode is dedicated to the spirit of rejection and loneliness and isolation <laughs> and everything else that V-Day stands for. And chocolate. Cheap chocolate. Actually, a couple of days after is cheap chocolate days, yeah. so yeah, that's a happy time. Done. Um, as game gurus, part of your job is to recommend games to customers, trying to find something to suit their taste. And when you recommend a lot of games, in the course of time, you just get a lot of rejections. It, it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Do you ever take it personally? Sometimes. Um, but not... If I recommend a game and someone just listens to my pitch and then says, no, that doesn't sound right for me, or they give me an ugly face, and <laughs> I can just tell that they're, you know, partway through my pitch, their eyes glaze over. You can over. see it. It's <laughs> not going to be that I don't take right. that personally. Mm. Um, what I really uh, hate is when um, a customer listens to my pitch and doesn't have the... Um, sense of self-awareness to realize that this game isn't for them and then I go through the act of teaching the game and then within two minutes of me walking away from the table I look back and I see that they have boxed it back up and someone has brought over Guess Who or Cards Against Humanity you know depending on the size of the group they they have taken my time they have taken my my effort and my passion for the game that I'm explaining <laughs> and then binned it without giving it a fair shake mm. uh, that's, that, that's, that's what hurts me that's pretty rough uh, David you haven't been with us uh, nearly as long as uh, Steve has of course but um, has, it, has it ever gotten to you at all? I, there's been a couple of times. When I very first started, um, I came in to the company. Uh, the fir- to give at least uh, people who know games uh, a little hint, the first two games I bought when I got into gaming were Race for the Galaxy and Arkham Horror. And that basically set me up for my gaming career. Um, <laughs> two and games so, that I will absolutely never, ever pitch at Snakes and Lockings. No, I, I have taught uh, Eldritch Horror once. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, twice. Uh, Arkham Horror, I would like to teach, but at the same time would run away screaming. I think it's just it's too much of a challenge. Anyway, uh, off topic. It would but, drive you mad. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yes, the... When I very first started, I started pitching a little too high, and I was trying yeah. to get people into the hobby at the level that I was at. And, you know, when a customer comes in and they don't know board games, trying to get them into something that has a 15-minute teach for it, if they are really after Connect Four, mm-hmm. is sometimes going to be a trouble. Uh, and when I got into the habit of, you know, then being able to find things like Quarto and uh, games that are very simple to teach that match the niche, that went away a lot. But uh, what I will say is that the one thing that does get to me... Um, and is it, it, it's with the as is the rest of life. It is how a rejection is delivered. Hmm. Um, because if somebody, yeah, I agree totally with Steve. If somebody listens to my pitch and says no, not the game for me, that's fine. I'll put it back on the wall. But if the the two things that have happened to me several times um, is somebody interrupts my explanation of the game and says no, just in such a tone of voice, they'll just go nope, 
before I've even finished explaining it or given them the chance to know really what it's getting at. Uh, and also uh, those situations, and it's usually with a group, usually after a few drinks, uh, which is understandable, uh, but where you go through the whole pitch and then one of the group brings out whatever game they've picked off the wall uh, that doesn't match anything anybody was looking for and says, no, I want to play this. And the group acquiesces and all the work I just did goes out the window. <laughs> and, you know, you wonder why anybody asks for the recommendations in the first place if they're just going to toss them out the window because someone says they want to play the game of life or whatever it happens to be. For me, it's not the quality of the rejections. I can take some pretty brutal put-downs on a single recommendation, and it's, it's fine. But uh, if, 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 it's, if there's a steady drip, drip, drip of, oh, I don't know about that one. Do you have anything else? Oh, it doesn't sound. Do you have anything else other than that? After about four or five of those, it really starts to get me down. But um, do you find it hurts more when a game you particularly like gets rejected? Like with, I mean, for me with music, if I, if I play somebody my favorite song and they really don't care for it, that's, oh. and does, it does, does the game that you're recommending have an effect on the, uh, the intensity of the sense of rejection that occurs when somebody says, no, that's not for me? I think it depends, again, like David said, on the manner of the rejection. If I'm pitching you my favorite game of all time, I don't have one, by the way, but you know one that, that's that's in the pantheon of the games sure, that Fury I love. Sure, Fury of Dracula. Uh, and you say, mm, no, I don't, not feeling it. it. It doesn't. I don't think it would appeal. That's fine. Yeah. Uh, you know, not everybody likes the same movies that I like. Not everybody likes the same food that I like. That's okay. Different strokes for different folks. But when the rejection is couched in condescension and just why would you why would you think I want that kind of attitude? That's when I want to start poking people's eyes out. <laughs> um, there's there's just there is an attitude amongst people who are not game aficionados that um, that games are stupid. Uh, that's stupid. What? Uh, the zombies are in that? That's stupid. Dragons are stupid. Uh, or games are stupid because they're for kids. And kids are stupid. Uh, and, and so there's just... I sometimes wonder why this person has come to our establishment. What do you think we do? People like that are very much an outlier in my experience. But yeah, generally they come in once and they don't come back again because they realize that basically the whole hobby isn't really for them. It's not just that a particular game isn't going to be for everyone. The whole idea of playing games. Mm. Uh, there, there are big swaths of the populace who just don't particularly care for entertainment where you have to participate. You have to be involved. And yeah. it's just not fun for them. I'd rather watch football! <sighs> I think my other thing as well is... As game gurus, we're basically all amateur psychologists, right? We're, re we're reading <laughs> what somebody says about what they like about gaming, and we're going, Technically, okay. Technically, we get paid, so we're professional psychologists, <laughs> just not accredited psychologists. <laughs> Fair enough. That's how you want to look at it. But, you know, uh, you sometimes get those tables as well who are just like, yeah, I don't know, just want a two-player game. Can you can you help me out? I really don't know what yeah, this hobby's about. And that's wonderful. And I have a stack of... Uh, I'll sometimes take up to five if I've got some time and sit with a couple and work out exactly what it is they want to play. But if I am convinced they will like my favorite game because of what I've read into them and then they turn it down, that one sometimes bites slightly. Mm. And I, the worst example of this, um, 
one of my top three games is Pandemic Legacy, but a love of Pandemic feeds into that. Mm-hmm. And I was feeding Pandemic to uh, a couple uh, who I thought were absolutely going to adore it. They said they played Forbidden Island and they wanted two player games, and I brought this over. Um, and I got to the point where they said, I said it was cooperative. It's, an, it's another one. It's like Forbidden Island. It's a cooperative game. And it wasn't what they were in the mood for that night. And they just went, oh, God, no, we don't want that. And that one bit really hard because it's <laughs> like, well, you know, either I've failed at my psychology or that's not a reasonable response given what you've told me. And that one was a little bit more out of nowhere. And that, that yeah, that stung a little. Let's take a look then at uh, the, the individual games now. We've talked about uh, chemistry between people, but there are some games, I think, that get rejected more forcefully and more commonly than others. Let's look into that. So what are some games that you've recommended a lot that never seem to get any traction? With each game, let's try to examine what it is about it that makes it beloved by us and uninteresting to the general public. I thought of one been thinking about this since you mentioned this as a topic and I've thought of one that's actually really annoyed me that I haven't been able to get to the table more and I'm just beginning to crack it and that's Can't Stop right. mm. because mm-hmm. the premise of Can't Stop is dead simple except there's something in it that makes it tricky to catch on to for some people Yeah, absolutely. I'm but- not quite sure what it is myself I don't know if you guys can enlighten me here. yeah I, I fell in love with that game when I first discovered it, and I, I really like it. I mean, it's not the best game out there. No. Uh, but it's a great, fast, fun, little, press-your-luck game. It really delivers on its premise. Yeah. That press, like, do you want to stop now, or do you want to risk losing it to try for more? But it does stuff that is so different from any other game that the average person has ever experienced that it is impossible to describe it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a lot like Skull or, or Skull and Roses in that respect. The only way to get someone to play the game is to open the box and show them how to play the game. Yeah, I, I, I can't pitch it. Uh, I, I find like, I, the best I've been ever, ever been able to do is to say that it's like a a game show, like a TV game show. Where you're, you're, where you're, it's all about greed. Mm. Where it's like, okay, do you stop now and collect the prizes that you've earned, or do you risk losing them by trying to get more? Yeah, you have to pitch the feel of the game. You can't pitch the content of the game without exactly. actually describing and explaining the whole mechanical system. Yeah, because the content is just numbers and rolling dice and pairing things up and seeing if they match up. And trying to make that sound exciting, no, it's not going to happen. But the dynamic of the game is great, and it's difficult to get across. It really is. Um there, are, there is actually a whole, quite, a, quite a number of games that have that exact problem for me. Vegas is like that. You guys ever play Vegas? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Terrific little dice game. Absolutely. I found, I, I tried for months to get that game to the table by describing it. Nobody ever went for it. Nobody. Eventually, I finally decided to hit on, on a different tack. I say, I'm not going to tell you how this game works. All I'm going to tell you is that it's a very easy, simple dice game that has some great moments. Oh, I can't believe you did that. And it's terrific and you should play it. Yeah, that is the approach that I take with uh, some tables. It, it depends on the people. Again, like psychology, you've got to be able to read the room. <laughs> yeah. um, with a number of our types of customers, I can take a game, any game, and I can take it to the table and just say, you're playing this. Right. And the, the right group of customers will be like, yeah, we are. Absolutely. <laughs> Lay it on us. Uh, 
And so that is the approach I have to take with some games. Like there's no other way than saying, trust me. I know what I'm doing. You're going to play this game. Most often it's when someone at the wall is, is, you know, telling me a little bit about what they like and that I don't even know what they've said. There's just a thing that they've said that makes me go, this game. Right. And I will grab that game and I say, you have to play this game right now. Uh, and whenever that happens, it's almost always a hit. Yep. I, I occasionally have a misfire and it doesn't work. But usually when I get such a strong glimpse of what it is that they are looking for in a game that I can just take something and say, this is it. This is what you're playing. Uh, it It's usually... And the less you tell them yeah. about the game before it's actually sitting in front of them, yeah. the better. Some games are impossible to pitch. They're just so weird concept or mechanically unusual that you just can't explain it without actually teaching it. I have that problem with Patchwork. Um, it's a game that I can't. I can pitch if somebody takes it to the table themselves and says, teach us this game, or I'm not pitching it, then I'm teaching it. I can teach it easily. And most, almost everyone I've ever taught it to has played at least two games of it. But pitching it's really hard. The, it's, you know... Really? The, well, one of the... If you look at it, I mean, it, again, it's a mechanical versus thematic thing. And if you say it's, you know, aggressive competitive quilting, that's one thing. Oh, yeah, um, that, that always works for me. But if people don't take that and they're like, well, what kind of game is it? Well, it's a live market resource management Tetris game. No, no, no. You're taking these and you awesome, can't do that. You're taking these awesome Tetris-y shaped pieces of cloth and you're trying to fit them together to make a nice quilt with no holes in it and you pay for stuff with buttons. Right. That always works for me. I don't know. It's one of those ones, I think the problem with it, and it's the only problem I have with this game, because I love it to death. It's great. But the word quilting <laughs> will get that reaction every time. Which but it is followed works. 50% of the time by accepting the game and 50%, or maybe not 50%, 20% of the time by going, nope. And then you have to try, I, I find I have to try and catch them with something else, and that's sure. where I fall flat. If you, if you will accept quilting and just go, okay, this is a great two-player game, no problem. I've got you. But as soon as the quilting falls flat, it's, you have to either demonstrate it or put it back on the wall, in my experience. Well, one of the things that uh, that seems to be coming up in a lot of these, uh, you know, in Vegas, in uh, Skull, in Patchwork, is the question of theme. Uh, I think that describing the way a game plays and making that sound good is super hard. But describing the way a game feels, you know, okay, so you're, one of you is Dracula and the other players are hunters who are trying to find him and catch him as he sneaks around Europe. I mean, teaching the rules of that game takes forever, but anybody can hear that 25-second pitch and get a sense of why this game might be fun. You try to do that with code names, for example. Mm. And um, because of the fact that the theme doesn't really fit in with the game, it's likely to get rejected. I mean, I've, I've tried to pitch code names to a lot of tables. It almost almost never gets accepted. Uh, well, the answer that some, I can't remember who it was, someone at the cafe gave me for this one, is to describe it as reverse taboo. Okay. In taboo, you're trying to describe one word by not saying a lot of other ones. In this game, you're reading one word in order to lead people to several. And that has caught people's attention since I started using that. Codenames was a game I used to struggle with. And that's caught people's attention more than anything else I've tried. That's really impressive. Yeah, that's an interesting approach. I've not heard that one. But the one that gives me the most success, um, 
obviously, if somebody says that they like guessing games, and boom, there it is. It's this is this sure. is the best guessing game yep. out there. But if they haven't given me that to work with, uh, what I'll say is it's spy themed taboo. Mm. Sure. Uh, and while the theme is really paper thin, um, it's enough there that that image hooks people. And while the gameplay doesn't really have anything to do with espionage and might then leave someone feeling disappointed, like it'd been a bait and switch, I feel that the gameplay is good enough mm. that um, even if they go, well, this isn't really spy themed, by the time <laughs> they've realized it isn't really spy themed, they've realized it's an awesome game. <laughs> I fed it a little bit into my teach, though. I feel like that's a game you can add a little theme to with a little storytelling. Sure. My teach for it is very much each team has its spy masters and they want their agents to contact the other agents in the field, but the problem is the lines are tapped, so they can't actually say the names of these agents. And that little hook's worked for me a couple of times as well. It's just this concept of, oh, now I get the purpose of it. And it's about as, that's about as thick as you can make the theme in this game. Mm-hmm. But I have found it helps sometimes. We've talked in earlier episodes about the divide between party game players and strategy game players. Uh, It's about the initial investment versus the reward. It's about how much control you have over the outcome. Here, though, we haven't even talked about it. Some people in our audience might have expected us to mostly talk about these big, heavy, complicated games that we love because, of course, we're experts, so we're into the big, heavy, complicated stuff, and we can't get people to try it. Those really aren't the games that get rejected, though, because we tend not to even pitch those to players who we don't think are going to be interested. Know your audience. Read your room. Um, The vast majority of our customers are not even remotely interested in the chaos in the old worlds and the (laughs) calices of the gaming world. Mm. Some of them will eventually come to those, and that's fantastic. I love it when... Uh, we get repeat customers who I see a gradual evolution in the sort of games that they are interested in. I sure. think that's great because you know anytime you're widening what you're interested in, that's a that's an improvement in your personality, right? That's that's you being open to things as opposed to getting narrow and oh no, I don't like that. I only want this. I want this one specific. Yeah. Slice Going outside of thing. your comfort zone is almost uh, always uh, helpful to your. But since the vast majority of our customers are never going to say yes to those games, it's a waste of everybody's time, ours and theirs to even suggest them. It's the games that we think they're going to like that are the ones that we pitch and the ones Mm -hmm. that risk getting rejected. Uh, And that's what hurts, I think, for me when someone has turned down a game that I've really passionately pitched to them is not that they don't like the game that I've suggested. It's not that I like this game and you've said no, which means you've invalidated me as a person. No. (laughs) (laughs) I don't care. Uh, I am confident in my own personality. I don't need anyone else's validation for it. What hurts is I think that I'm good at what I do. And I have made a suggestion for you. And you have, for whatever reason, rejected that suggestion. And that reflects poorly on my ability to do my job. You now think, that guy's an idiot. Why would he have, you know... (laughs) suggested that we play that game that's clearly not something that it looks even remotely interesting. Uh, I've made some sort of mistake. And sometimes that's what it is. Yeah. Other times, it's the customer who's made a mistake. I honestly believe that there are people out there who are so tied up in not taking a chance and not 
going anywhere outside their zone that they are the ones who are losing out and missing out and they are the ones who have made the mistake, not me. I think pretty much everybody who goes to do this job does so because they want to make people happy. Mm -hmm. They want to introduce people to new things and trying and failing to achieve that always feels bad. I guess what I'd like to see is a way to give rise to a culture in which taking chances and accepting the possibility that you might be wrong becomes less scary. Um, and I, I, I like to believe that this, that this in its, its own small way does introduce people to new things that brings people into venues where they might fail, they might lose and that's okay. There's no harm done. It's enjoyable. Well, and that's where somewhere like snakes is ideal because if I'm looking at Star Wars Armada, mm-hmm. that's, okay, that's a bad example. We don't have it on the wall. <laughs> if I'm looking at Twilight Imperium, right. we have a copy of that that's open for play at our college location. I don't think it's necessarily a particularly good cafe game, but it's available. That's got, what, a $100, $130 price tag on it? Something. Mm-hmm. I don't know the exact number. I haven't looked. It's not cheap. No. It's a big box with a lot of stuff. And right. it costs. So you can come in, pay five bucks, and have a go. <laughs> and that, I think, is one of the biggest opportunities that people should take if they're interested in exploring this hobby. If you're going to reject a game, if you're going to try it and find that it's not for you, you might as well do it under conditions like that. Right? Absolutely. Don't don't pay the huge money, but come in and, and, and go beyond what you feel supremely comfortable with because you played it as a kid or you've got it at home and just want to play it out with friends or something. Try something new because it's the best uh, environment to do it short of having a friend who owns the game. People are afraid of, of making the wrong choice. Um, but we know what we're doing, and it is an absolutely zero-risk environment to make a mistake. Mm-hmm. You know, it, you go to a lawyer because you have legal troubles. You trust that lawyer because he or she is an expert in their field, and the consequences of mistakes are large. Yeah. Similarly, a doctor. Your doctor is an expert on human health or should be, and you have to trust that person. And, and if they are wrong, the consequences can be grave. We are just as much experts in our field as they are in their fields. But the consequence of a misstep is, oh, no, you lost a game. <laughs> Oops. Or you or, wasted half an hour yeah. on something you've decided you don't like. Yeah. Um Trust your gurus is, I think, the best way to encourage people not to worry about failure is wherever you're going, whether you live in Toronto and you come to see us or whether you're, uh, you know, in California and you go to Game House or Victory Point Cafe. Or you're or, going to a friend's place well, yeah. uh, on New Year's or whatever. Um, if you're going somewhere and somebody knows games, let them be your Sherpa. Mm-hmm. Let them guide you. Take a risk because really what's the worst that happens? You wasted a bit of time on a game that you ended up thinking was stupid or pointless or just too silly or not silly enough. Oh no. (laughs) It's a game. Uh, Learn to enjoy. All right, that'll wrap it up for this week. If there's a topic you'd like to hear about on the show, tweet it to us at SnakesCast or post it on the Snakes and Lattes Facebook page. Steve, David, thanks for bringing the love. Thank you. Try this game I love. It's really good. (laughs) 
The Snakes cast is produced by P.T. Douglas. Music is provided by Ben Sound. The opinions expressed on the show belong to the people in it and not the company behind it. Thank you for listening. Game on. <laughs>